This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Well, it's difficult, of course. That's our day job, and that's the, uh, that's the job we all want to be out doing. But, of course, right now the priority is... Um, and making sure we're doing the right things um, and the responsible thing, which is, you know, I think is important for everybody to take note of right now. So we're all on um, individual programmes currently. Um, the club have done a, a really good job, actually, of being in contact with the players, keeping us informed. Um, so, yeah, we've all got our own programmes to follow. Um, we're all doing that the best we can with the equipment we have available. Um, and, yeah, just trying to stay as active physically and mentally as possible really um of course it's not easy um as i say we'd all much rather be at the training center um in the surroundings that we're used to but we have to adapt and i think that's the case for everybody in this climate currently um it's unusual of course it's unprecedented is the word that i've heard a lot used recently um i think it's it's important that we all get creative with um staying active staying fit um and as i say it's as important to do that mentally as it is physically because i know that um you know i as much as anybody really sort of suffer with being bored or being stuck at home and not being able to do the things i want to do so um yeah the wife's keeping me active and um it's got a long list of jobs for me to do um in this period off the ball kicks off now on bfm 89.9 that was Manchester United reserve goalkeeper Lee Grant. Just about highlighting um, what, how, what every professional footballer is going through at the moment. Hello there, I'm Ross. This is Off The Ball. It's a very special Off The Ball. It's Off The Ball in lockdown, if you like. <laughs> uh, but I'm taking this opportunity to, to check in with the guys. Uh, we'll be hearing from Arvin Sidhu. We'll be hearing from Craig Wilkie. But... Uh, on the line with me right now, um, from the safety of his own home, I hope, is Cam Roslan. Hello, Cam. Hey, Ross. How are you doing? I, I'm good. Are, are you holding up well? Yep, yep. I haven't been out for a week. Um, I'm going a little bit stir-crazy, but I'm generally okay. I don't know what you're complaining about. That's just a normal Cam Roslan week, isn't it? It is, it is actually, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Professional footballers all around the world. Uh, you, you can see a lot of their videos. In fact, we've got a post on our football uh, BFM football page of how they're keeping themselves occupied during these difficult times. A lot of them have plush home gyms, of course, just like you, Cam. Uh, y- yeah, yeah, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Today's today tonight's show, uh, rather, is all about football books, good football books. We're going to tell you about some of the best football books that you can find out there, and it's the ideal time to start reading, really. First, though, let's go through some of the big news of the week with uh, Cam, uh, and we, 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 I've tried picking out only the good bits of news, so... We heard Lee Grant at the start. Let's start with Manchester United along with Man City. Uh, they, both clubs have donated up to £100,000 to the Manchester Food Banks. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. That's good and they should. Um, and they're going to have to keep up this commitment for a long time. Um, people will be turning to them and expecting for them to you know, give back to the communities from which they they they've taken so much so yeah we'll be hopefully seeing more stories like this from the big clubs 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, each club will initially, I understand, donate £50,000 to the Trussell Trust, a network of over 1,200 food bank centres, including 19 in the Greater Manchester area. Uh, like Cam says, it's, it's got to carry on. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think the UK has yet really worked out just how long this is going to be. Uh, and I don't even know if the UK has really yet worked out how serious this is. I, you know, I reckon the UK are just going through what we went through two weeks ago here in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even worse. It, uh, it, the UK response is really bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all balikin kampong in the UK. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. on, on with the news then. Uh, similarly, Everton and Liverpool, Merseyside's red and blue giants have mobilised forces they too are helping the homeless and the, the, the people in difficulty in the community. They, they have uh, launched 50 and 40,000 pounds respectively uh, to help supporting food banks in the Merseyside area, which is great, great news. Yes, I think if I remember rightly, I think I've heard stories coming from the, the Liverpool clubs in the past where they've had a lot of engagement and this kind of thing uh, in their communities. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we see those two clubs uh, playing an even stronger role as we go along. Yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all nice to read and, and great to hear. I understand a lot of Premier League clubs are paying their, their ground staff uh, their usual match day wages as well so that's great to hear um the best story i guess this week has to come from robert lewandowski the big number nine from bayern munich camp he has donated one million euros along with his wife anna to fight coronavirus now that's a serious figure that that's that's real money isn't it and it's really um encouraging to see an individual player a big player in, in the german game uh step forward hand out big money like that. Uh, it think, made me think also of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. I believe he's, he's, he's using, he's allowed his, uh, his, all his hotels to become uh, hospitals or whatnot. And also uh, Gary Neville with, uh, with his hotels, um, turning those over to the National Health Service uh, employees. Um, so, you know, individuals are stepping up. Good to see, good to see. Uh, along with uh, Robert Lewandowski's teammates, Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich have also set up a fund called We Kick Corona. And between them, they've already raised 2.5 million euros. Apparently, uh, Man City's Leroy Sane also made a considerable financial donation. So good news all around. And, and, and to these guys, it's, it's a drop in the ocean, right? Um, our hearts and thoughts and prayers all go out to anybody and everybody in Italy. It is the worst, it's the hardest hit area of the coronavirus. Uh, I understand that Roma are funding some ICU ventilators and, and beds because that is what is most needed during these difficult times. They, they are to fund three intensive care ventilators, eight beds for a hospital in Rome, I know that doesn't sound a lot, but it's it's what that's already what four hundred and sixty thousand euros worth. Uh, that's the most needed thing out there, and and I read also that uh, on a, uh, not so happy note, uh, Paolo Maldini and his son have both been tested positive for um, 
COVID-19. Uh, I can't help thinking they'll be okay. They're fit and healthy people. Um, but Lazio apparently have been uh, trying to get their squad back to start doing training. That's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> now, a lot of clubs were scheduled to, to go back, I think, Thursday of last week. But uh, they are, let me stress, most of the Premier League clubs, in fact, all, as far as I know, are all working from home. They've all got personal training regimes. And, and I guess a lot of them are going to put on a bit of weight cap. Let's face it. Yeah, yeah. But at least it'll be a level playing field. They're all going to come out... Uh looking like, um, I, I, remember, I keep thinking of Neville Southall after he retired and he was called back for one for a couple of matches and he was enormous. They're all going to come back looking like that. Together. No, no, they don't. Uh, and, and anyway, we, we wish everyone uh, in Italy well. And, and people in the UK, please self-isolate. If you're not already told to do so, do so. Because it is important. It, it is life-saving. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, let, let's move on to some happy stuff then. Uh, we, we're doing good, classic football books uh, on this edition. And, and Cam pop, piped up and said, oh, I've got a few here. So Cam, tell us about your, 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 your first big book. What, what, what are you talking about? Well, uh, there's Jonathan Wilson's Inverting the Pyramid, which is like, uh, it's a classic now. Uh, came out oh, about five years ago, and it's, uh, it's uh, a go-to reference book on the evolution of... Uh, football on on the evolution of its structure, the, the on on the pitch. Because uh, as you know, Ross, I know absolutely nothing about football structure. Uh, so when Keish or whoever are sort of saying, "Oh, you know, the, the manager brought the left back inside to exploit the space behind the midfield or whatever," I have no idea what's going on. Um, <clears throat> but as far as I'm concerned, everybody in the whole world plays four four two. So do you do you reckon? Do you, do you reckon that? Let, sorry, sorry, Cam. Let me cut in. Do you reckon uh, that uh, a normal, normal person who, who doesn't know a lot about football, do you reckon this would be a good book for them to start with? It's a tough read. Uh, it's a challenging read. I'm not gonna. This is not for for the faint-hearted. And there are long bits where I didn't understand what was going on because my maths is just not good enough. Um, but even so, it's worth sticking with because you pick up gems. And for me, the thing that I'm most interested in football is, is I mean, I love the game, but I'm interested in the cultures surrounding football that, that inform um, the way individual teams and the way nations play. And Jonathan Wilson uh, really tells us about that by the, by the way that the game has evolved. And it's really, it's, therefore, it's really interesting to read the evolution of, his, of uh, football from the beginning. Um, from the 1870s, and you see how it's changed, and all the different players and countries that have stepped it forwards. Well, have you read it, Ross? Uh, I, I, like you said, <laughs> it's a hard read. I tried reading it twice, actually, and I'm kind of halfway through it. But yeah, it, it's a tough read, and and you know, for me, uh, I get bored really easily. <laughs> And, and I'd much rather watch the action. I, I'm waiting for the Inverted the Pyramid documentary to come out. Yeah, I think that would be a really good one, actually, with, with you know, images on screen to sort of show you where the positions are. But one thing that sticks in my mind is when he talks about the very beginning, when football first broke away from rugby, uh, the, the team structure was, I mean, if I think of a 4-4-2, the team structure was actually 1-9. 
So the teams would have one goalkeeper, one fullback, and the rest of the team would be lined up in a straight line at the front. So when he's talking about inverting the pyramid, he's talking about the history of how it changed from, from that pyramid to the the new pyramid that we we're, we are familiar with now. And so it's, it's good to see. Brilliant. So in short, it's about formations and, and how teams attack and... And it is a good read. It is um, classified, I think, in the top 20 of the greatest football books ever. Now, that's at 442.com. Do check it out. They've, in fact, they've got 50 of the, the greatest football books there. And, and they're all really brilliant. I, I've only read a handful of them. Yeah, I, I, I think this is the only one I've read from that top 20. Um, and it, it was like reading Stephen Hawking's Brief History of Time. Yeah. But a football version. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a small book. I'll understand this, and then you don't understand much of it. I, I tell you, I tell you what, I yeah, I tell you what, I got into in the nineties. Um, Fever Pitch was probably one of my first football books, and it's not really a football book. It's kind of a, a love story as well. But it's a fantastic book. It's isn't it? Book. Isn't it great? Nick Hornby, Fever Pitch. I think it's the number two or number three greatest football books ever in this four four two dot com. If you've, I mean, so I, I bought this, what, it must have been in 94, 95, something like that. Now, when I started reading Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby, one thing I realized about myself, because I was getting so into the book, I realized at that point that I'm interested about other clubs, because it's, it's a story about Arsenal, <laughs> all right? It's about Arsenal's um, uh, try, striving to, to win the title. And I, I found out at that point that I, I'm actually interested in other clubs as well. So I guess that makes me a football fan first and a Man United fan second. I, well, I think, Ross, that's for other people to decide, and, and I decided no. <laughs> 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 no. Manchester United, through and through for you. But I, I think it's interesting with the Nick Hornby is that when he first started watching Arsenal, it was the George Graham 1-0. Yep. Catanaccio almost style, yes. uh, win at all costs. And then he, he charts how it went through that Wenger phase to becoming this incredible, uh, beautiful football that, that really shook uh, the English game completely. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Uh, if In fact, it's been made into a movie. In fact, it's been made into two. So there's an English version of the movie, Fever Pitch. Uh, it stars Colin Firth. Yeah, it remains true to the story. It's about Arsenal. Then they've made an American version, haven't they, with Drew Barrymore and... and, and uh, David Cusack? No, David no, no. Drew Barrymore and, and someone. And, it, and they turned it into a baseball movie. Well, I mean, baseball's got its own culture. Um, different from football. I watched bits of it. Uh, didn't really grip me, and I watched. Bit, I I loved the book so much. I just didn't want to watch a film version. Yo, so you haven't seen the Colin Firth version? No, no, because yeah, no, no. I, I I just didn't want to break the spell. I mean, when I read Fever Pitch, I then went off and read all the other Nick Hornby books, <laughs> and and I went through a complete uh, phase of Nick Hornby. It's great. And if you've no, if you've not read it, or, or if you haven't seen the film. Get get it. Get both. Get the book. It's it's brilliant. It describes the it so precisely the pains of being a football fan. 
Now, I think I got this in 95, so Man United won the title in 92. So I totally um, aligned with, with the story because United were waiting for, what, 20-odd years for the title, and they just got it. And, yeah, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. But you, 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 uh, there's been no Manchester United fever pitch, has there? No, no, that's a good point. But, yeah, I, but I, you've read every Alex Ferguson book out there, haven't I, I, you? That, that is true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, actually, uh, another book that uh, Jonathan Wilson did it was on uh, Brian Clough, uh, a, a guy who absolutely fascinates me. Uh, and uh, his book on Brian Clough is very, very interesting. Um, and I think that Ferguson, in a way, came from the Clough kind of school of man management. Uh, and so I'd also be recommending the, the Brian Clough book. So there you go. Two very, very good books there. We're going for our first break. Cam's going to take a little break. We'll, we'll hear from Cam in a few moments. When we come back then, let's check in uh, with Arvin Sidhu. He's going to talk about El Clasico next. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Captain, leader, legend. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, this Monday, it's a special Off the Ball. We're, we're looking at books. And it also gives me a chance to check in on the chaps. I've got Arvin Sidhu, uh, uh, a, a very frequent uh, contributor to our shows. Uh, he's on the line. Arvin, how are you keeping? I'm all right, Ross. I hope everyone else is doing okay. Uh, we just got to take this one day at a time and hopefully we battle through this and come on stronger from it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like everybody else, uh, we are all working from home these days. And uh, I, the, the thing is, a lot of our guests read very interesting football books. And this week, we're going to share them with you. Now, I know Arvin has chosen El Clasico. It's Barcelona versus Real Madrid, football's greatest rivalry, written by, rich, uh, written even by Richard Fitzpatrick. Uh, came out in 2012. When did you first get it, Arvin? Um, I got it probably a couple of, couple of years later. I got it around the year 2015. So I've had it for about five years now, and I've, I've had a couple of reads of it. So, yeah, it's a very, very good, engaging book, to be very honest. I, I know you, you, you lean more towards the white side of this rivalry. You're a big Real Madrid fan. <laughs> um, yeah, we, 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 need to, we need to start with uh, the sad news. Uh, former president Lorenzo yes. Sanz has, has passed yeah. away. He a victim of the coronavirus. Yeah, really sad news for all Madridistas to get up to today. I mean, ex-president of Real Madrid, the owner of Malaga. I mean, this was a guy who used his own money at one time to buy the likes of Davos Suker and Pedro Mijatovic. And him, he came in to a point where I felt a lot of things needed to be aligned. And he was the one that delivered the Champions League after 30 years plus of Madrid not winning it. I mean, that's unheard of in this day and age of Madrid not winning a Champions League for that long. So, Lorenzo Sanz, um, father of Fernando Sanz, ex-Real Madrid player as well, and also father-in-law of Michel Salgado as well, 
going to be missed, really, really going to be missed because without him, uh, Florentino Perez and Ramon Calderon might not have had as smooth of a journey as what he paved the way for. Yeah, may he rest in peace. Um, all right, then, tell us a little bit about this book, El Clasico. Um, it's obviously about the rivalry between Barcelona and Real Madrid. What, 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 from what perspective is it written? I think it's written from a perspective where it's very unbiased. It gives you a very good insight to both sides of the coin. Now, even if you're, you support, like what I said, what you said, me being on the, more the white side, whether you're on the Messi side, you're on the Ronaldo side, you're on the Catalonia side, the Castilla side, nation versus state, freedom fighters versus Franco fascists, it all is a very, very balanced book because it gives you so much about this rivalry, which... Um, for a neutral fan, they, they, they don't get it until you actually go into it and you look at the relevant chapters and relevant areas that they talk about. And that's what really drew me to the book because it's written in a way where obviously the, the writers got a lot of knowledge on, on, on the Classico and La Liga, but it's very well placed. It's engaging. It doesn't take sides. And it's sort of like your favorite teacher giving you a subject where the teacher guides you through the process and it's up to you to kind of come up with your own opinions and views on it. That's what I enjoyed so much about it. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, all right then. Um, you, you've you've been to uh, the Bernabeu, haven't you? Yes, I have. I have. I've been fortunate, and actually, to be honest, I've been to both. I was I went to the Bernabeu on my first trip to Europe, and last year during a work trip, I was fortunate enough to go and watch Barcelona play uh, play Mallorca. So I've been able to go to both the football cathedrals. Brilliant, brilliant. I, I've been to both as well, and, and wow, awesome. Uh, Newcomb, what, how high was it? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's crazy, crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, football. <laughs> we can actually do a show on, on, on stadium architecture. I don't know how that works on radio, but it, that's an idea. <laughs> it is, it is. And both of them are amazing. I mean, I always tell people, whoever goes to Santiago Bernabal, people are obviously prices are crazy but to be honest wherever you sit in the Santiago about the view is great because it's such it's constructed in such a way that it appeals to everyone and of course the Newcomb uh, let's just say the amount of people that can go into that stadium and the, the, the atmosphere the energy it generates so both of them have got a lot of pros I see very little cons of both the stadiums so any football enthusiast and you don't have to be a Madrid or a Barcelona supporter any football enthusiast should try and make it to one of these stadiums because it's really a so when when did you start first liking Real Madrid? What was it? Because I mean, when they had the Galacticos, it was difficult not to. I mean, I I, I love Man United, but I always looked out for Real Madrid. You know what I mean? <laughs> for me, it was a it's a very interesting story. When I was very young, my late granddad uh, had a friend who went to Spain and, and the gents back with two jerseys he came back with the Raul 7 and he came back with the Guardiola 4 and uh, he obviously didn't know if I liked any teams and I and the Raul jersey really appealed to me and I knew about Raul as a player so that was the one that I picked the Guardiola one I, as great of a player and as amazing of a manager he is now I was able to pass it on to a friend but since then and it's, it was the pre-Galactico so was, Raul was of course part of the Galacticos where he was already there and everyone else was brought in to kind of support him so it was the pre-Galactico era with Raul, winning the Champions Leagues against Valencia, winning, uh, going into the final, playing with Man United, those classic games. So that that was really the period for Yeah, Raul was, well, is a Real Madrid institution. Uh, uh, so this book, El, El Clasico, then, um, what, what time period does the author 
highlight and uh, how's it going to get the normal guy going, well, all right, I'm going to go and get it? Now, it the, the, the good thing about the book is that Ron, it covers uh, quite a bit. It does the span of it. It will cover during the Spanish Civil War. So you will hear and you will read. Actually, when I say, sorry, when I say hear, it's because when you're reading it, you feel like the, the writer is speaking to you. You will, you will look at a lot of things that will change your perception about it. Um, during the Civil War, um, Madrid was actually an anti-Franco establishment, and a lot of a lot of fans feel that oh, Madrid's all about about Franco and, and his establishment, mm-hmm. but they were an anti-Franco establishment. Barcelona was the more dominant team during the Civil War, and it covers a range of of, of players and stars. I mean, you look at the names: Gary Lineker, Hugo Sanchez, Maradona, Stoichkov, Lodrop, Zidane, Koeman. So it's a very, it's got a very good span, and it will cover some facts where you will find out that. The time when Real Madrid won 11-1 against Barcelona, it was a very controversial game in the early 1940s. So you get to hear these insights about how the game was structured in such a way that it, it gave favoritism to, to Madrid at that time. But on the other side of the coin, you will also hear stories how Alfredo de Stefano, a lot of people say he was the signing of the century. He was almost on Barcelona's books. But because Madrid were a bit more competent in the transfer market, they managed to snatch him away. So, like I said, it's a book that covers both sides of the coin. You will see what both teams are good at and what both of them have had their series of errors over, over the years as well. I, I, I want to say that as much as attractive as the Galactical policy was, it wasn't successful as other Real Madrid errors. So, yeah, like I said, both sides of it. And that's what's so engaging for anyone who picks up the book. Does it does it in uh, in any part cover the whole Luis Figo thing when he moved between it clubs? Towards, towards the end, it does. It does. I mean, we remember the famous uh, big uh, head being thrown on the, on the pitch. <laughs> we remember. We remember the we remember um, Florentino Perez coming up during election and saying, "If I get this 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 ticket to be the president of Real Madrid, that's who I'm going to deliver." And everyone was like. This is fantasy football. How can you be saying that you're going to deliver Luis Figo? At that time, the best player in Barcelona, obviously Rivaldo was a close second. But how can the president who is running for an election is saying that he's going to assign Luis Figo? It's unheard of. And then when he wins the election, he just basically uses the transfer policy in Spain where you're able to pay a fee and get the pay the release cost and get him out of it. And that was that created so much. I still remember that game. It was <laughs> fake 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 money being thrown at him. The pigs hit it was it was such a charge atmosphere. The only other time I think I've really seen the charge atmosphere was was Mourinho against with against Guardiola when Mourinho was set set his team out to really kick kick Barcelona because he couldn't figure out where he had the players had to go out and literally kick the team across the pitch. So yeah. Yeah, that was a strange marriage, that one, Mourinho and, and Real Madrid. Um, all right, then. So when, when do you reckon in your lifetime, have you, have you set the goal to, to go to the Bernabeu and, and watch El Clasico? I have, I have. So the first time I went, I did. I watched El Clasico the first time I went to Madrid and watched Barcelona play. Unfortunately, they were in a losing end of 1-0. Um, it was uh, one of Santiago Solari's last games before Zidane came back um, for the second time. So unfortunately, Madrid lost um, one nil. Uh, Ivan Rakitic got the goal, uh, but it was still. And Madrid was a very. It was very much in a downer at that time. Um, another target will be to watch the Clasico in Barcelona because, like I said, it's a rivalry that's so engaging. You see both sides of this um, this culture, this this ideology, the, how politics comes into this. So to be able to go and watch it in the Nou Camp 
Now that would be an experience that I would, I would like to go for one day, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring me with you, yeah? Wicked. I want to All right, excellent stuff. Uh, El Clasico, Barcelona versus Real Madrid, football's greatest rivalry, uh, is written by Richard Fitzpatrick. It is available in all good bookstores. Um, I'm going to say thanks to you, Arvin. Uh, what, what are your plans for the rest of this Monday? Are you going to feed? I guess you're working from home, aren't you? Yeah, working from home, just trying to keep the spirits up for us, you know, and I want the readers, I want the listeners to be able to do that as well, because it's challenging times for us, but uh, we'll come out of this, and it's important that we, we are there for each other, we are being practical in what the government is telling us to do, and the health experts, so my message to all Malaysians is, um, it's tough, we know everyone is going through it, but together we will get through it, so for me it's just... Being at home with the loved one, my dog, catching up on some reading, catching up on some football documentaries. Unfortunately, there's no live football. So just along those lines, Ross. Brilliant. You take care, Arvin. Speak to you soon. <laughs> take care, Ross. You and your family as well. And all the best to everyone. We will be back right after this. Because whilst he's there, it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that good. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. England's highest quality title race of all time, but coming out on top again in the Premier League, Manchester City. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Thanks for sticking with us. It's a special off the ball this Monday evening. It is all about books today. We heard Arvind earlier on. Uh, As I said earlier, it gives me a chance to check in with the guys as well. So, hello, Craig Wilkie. Good evening, Ross. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I look. I I know you live in uh, KL City Centre. I've got to ask, what's it like outside? I do. It's a ghost town over here, as as it should be as well. I think everybody. Hopefully now everybody's following the advice of the authorities, staying at home, and so perfect opportunity to stay at home, read some good books, and we'll all be okay. Now go on. The missus is not listening. Uh, I promise you. Um, <laughs> is she, she dri- might be when this goes out, though. <laughs> is she driving you mad yet? Well, if everybody's still in one piece so far. Um, I'm happy to report. Um, it's still early days, so you know, one one day at a time. I think is the best way to approach this situation. Brilliant. Right. Um, we we heard earlier on. Arvin was was going on about El Clasico and his love for Real Madrid. Now I know you're a Liverpool fan. And the book you've chosen is A Season with Verona. Um, it's about, um, yes. it's about the, the, the author and his friendship with a member of the Verona, Hellas Verona Ultras, as far as I can understand. That sounds really interesting. Tell us a bit about the book. It is really interesting. Well, first of all, as you say, I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan. I'd hope this weekend we would be, you would be joining me in celebrating Liverpool winning the league, but... Of course, unfortunately, we, we can't be doing that right now. So let's turn our attention to something else. And yeah, we had yeah. a chat before about... Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm gutted I think, about I'm, gu- I'm gutted about that, Craig. I'm really... <laughs> I, um... I, I can tell. I can hear it in your voice. Um, so yeah, this gives us an opportunity to turn our attention to you know some of the books that have inspired us over the years when it comes to football. And yeah, this one I've chosen, A Season with Verona. I can't even remember when I... First read it quite a long time ago. It was published in 2002. Yeah. And essentially, yeah, this guy who wrote it, Tim Park, Tim Parks, he's, he's an English um, writer and author who's lived in Italy for a long, long time. And he, he lives in Verona, and so he started following the local football team. 
and he got he got really quite into it. And then he decided that one season he was going to go kind of all in. So what he did was he went to every single Verona game that season, both home and away, and he documented that whole experience in this book, A Season with Verona. And part of the reason why it's interesting is, as you say, he did it by trying to get close to and making acquaintances with the ultras of, of Verona. So in Italian football, as you know, ultras are kind of those most hardcore fans who congregate behind the goal. They're the ones who make the most noise, who set off the flares, who also have a bit of a reputation sometimes for less savoury behaviour, shall we say. And that's certainly true of the, the Verona fans that, that Tim Parks kind of gets himself involved in. But it's this... What I like about it as a book is that it's not just about the drama of the football season, which, of course, we can all relate to and that we all enjoy. And it becomes a real roller coaster ride of a season because Verona sort of keep their heads just above the relegation zone and sometimes in the relegation zone throughout the whole season and might not spoil it just yet as to how it turns out, but it becomes a real cliffhanger at the end as to whether they're going to stay up or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the book is, is not only about that, it's also about this kind of outsider's perspective on Italy and living in Italy and the whole cultural aspect of it. It's kind of about what it means to be a football fan as well and all those different emotions, all those different kind of things that are going into being a fan, especially being a hardcore fan like, like the Ultras. You know, and really how much, I think it's quite appropriate at this time where we're, we're all trying to fill this void left by the absence of football in our lives and how it really dominates everything. You know, how these guys, they plan for the game so far in advance, they meet up to talk about it like we do on the show you know and then when the game is over they meet up about it again to you know talk about what's what's happened at the weekend and make their plans for the next week so it becomes this really fascinating study into kind of fan culture and the perspective of an outsider living in a different country so that's why i would recommend it as a book i think whether you're a, a really hardcore football fan or not you would get something out of, out of this really well-written piece brilliant uh, a season with verona written by Tim Parks. Uh, sadly, Italy is is one of the hardest hit nations yeah, exactly. of of the virus. Um, have you ever been to uh, uh, Venice? Yeah, I have. In fact, I've, I've been to Italy um, many times. I think one of the reasons, actually, why this book um, resonates with me a lot is because I'm from that generation of um, Brits who grew up and fell in love with Serie A, fell in love with Italian football. So I can remember as a kid, you know, back in the 90s. During the Gaza times, yeah? Back in the UK, yeah, exactly. Um, started showing the Italian football. And back then, no question Serie A was the best league in the world. You know, you had all the best players in the world were playing in Italy at that time. Um, and it was just, I think, for, for a young kid in the UK, it was such an exotic thing. You know, all the stadiums had been rebuilt for Italia 90. Italia 90 was the first World Cup that I, I could really remember that I really got into. Even Scotland were in the World Cup back then. You know, that's how, that's how long ago we're, we're talking about here. So, so I, 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 really, I really fell in love with Italian football back then, um, you know, when I was sort of 8, 9, 10 years old. And that, that love of Italian football has stayed with me. And many people think that's a little bit strange. There's still this perception around Italian football of it. It's dull, it's defensive. I've never found it to be like that. I think, yes, it is tactical. I think there is a certain you know, tactical sophistication to the game in Italy, but it's hugely exciting as well. And I've actually been fortunate enough to go to games. I've been to games in Rome. I've been to games in Milan. I've been to games in Florence. And yeah, it's been just a great spectacle to go to a game in Italy. So hopefully, you know, when this whole situation is, is over and under control, it'll be great to go back to Italy to see a game. And I think, you know, one of the things is when, when, we, are, when we are able to do that, the, the, the best thing about that, of course, is that this whole situation will be under control. So 
let us let us hope that that's the case sooner rather than later. And send send all our good wishes to Italy, where really things just seem to be incredibly grim right now. We hope it gets better soon. Yeah, absolutely. Stay strong, Italy. Uh, keep fighting. The whole world is absolutely rooting for you. Um, yeah, that, that program, exactly. Craig, program Craig was talking about was uh, Football Italia, and it launched the career of a very young James Richardson. Uh, I remember it was, it was to culminate. Yes, it yeah, it culminated with Paul Gascoigne signing for Lazio, I, and that was the, pretty much the first time I watched Italian football as well, because that was the time when I was in the UK. So, yeah, uh, great memories. Yeah, exactly. It was such an exciting time. And back then, you know, of course, as a young kid in the UK, there was there was two things I wanted to be. One was I wanted to be a footballer. Sadly, that didn't quite work out. But as a backup plan, what everybody wanted to be was James Richardson, because what a job he had. Right? Every, every Saturday morning, he would just be sat there going through the newspapers with his cappuccino and with his ice cream in some beautiful um, Italian cafe. It seemed to me like he was living the life, so... That was, you know, an, another failed dream, I guess. But <laughs> it, it was, a, it was a great show. It, it was a great show. Those were great memories watching, watching football Italia. Yeah, yeah. My, my ad that James Richardson uh, paraded a very expensive, different, a very different, expensive cashmere jumper around his neck with each episode. <laughs> exactly. Now, speaking of journalists and 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 James Richardson and stuff. You 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 write a, a weekly column for for the Malay Mail, don't you, or for the Star? Sorry, for for the Star, yes, I do. I am I am a regular columnist for the Star. Every Tuesday, you will find my musings, um, and we carry on. There's no football right now, but the column continues. Getting a little bit harder of a weekend, to be to be honest with you, as to, as to what to come up with, with what to write. But actually, I think you know, even the fact that we're having this conversation now, it just shows you that the football. We're so immersed in it. There's so much to talk about. Even when we don't have a game on at the weekends that we can refer to, there's always something that we can debate. There's always something that we can talk about. So this coming Tuesday, as every Tuesday, you'll be able to see my scribblings in the star, both in print and online, for it, because interested. Yep, yep. Never miss it. Um, a, bit, a bit about your book. You, you, <laughs> you, you. Like, you like Bob Holmes. Uh, have a book out. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, I'll confess, I, I don't know much I about do. it. Uh, no, it's okay. It's, it's only very recently out. You're making me sound very prolific here. But yes, I, I did. Well, it's not really my book. I wrote a chapter in this book. Uh, the book is called Us and Them, um, Journeys in, New Journeys in Football Rivalry. And it's actually on behalf of an organization back in the UK, which is called Nil by Mouth. And that organization is an anti-sectarian charity. So they do a lot of work with schools, for example, trying to educate young people about, you know, that issue of sectarianism, which in Scotland is often in, involves Rangers and Celtic, and just how about we can overcome some of those differences. So they're supporting their school program through this, through the work of this book, through selling this book. So I, um, bizarrely enough, I actually, for my chapter, I flew to China a little while ago to watch China versus India, an international friendly, which, of course, having flown all that way, the game ended nil-nil. Um, but the, it's a little bit... Actually, it's a little bit like the season with Verona book in the sense that it's kind of, it's partly about the game, but it's partly about my experience of the trip. You know, it's a bit of a sort of travel, a travel log as well. And, it, and really the whole premise of the chapter is about these two superpower nations. You, know, you have China and India, both have over a billion people in their population, both growing politically and economically, and how they're trying to use football as a kind of way of projecting some of that power. They both have very big ambitions for, for what they want to do in football, but right now, they're still relative minnows in the game. 
you know, I think if you look at their FIFA rankings, they're still very, very lowly. You know, way, way behind even Scotland, for example, in the, in the FIFA rankings. So uh, it's just a kind of look at what they're both trying to do in terms of developing the game in their respective countries and uh, trying to look at it through a slightly different lens. So, yeah, that, that book is actually available at the Nil by Mouth website. You can, in fact, get um, international delivery as well. So anybody who's interested, please feel free to check that out. Brilliant stuff. And and with that, we end this segment. Uh, I, I've, I've got to wish you and your, your family uh, all the love and, and stay safe, guys. Yeah, Stay indoors. Thank you very much, Ross. Likewise, yeah, I think that should be the message of tonight's show. Stay in, read a book, watch some old games on TV, and that's, that's the best thing we can do right now. Stay tuned, guys. Uh, we're back with uh, Cam next. Build a mentality in that dressing room that's powerful, strong, made them feel like they're unbeatable. What a coach. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. The serial winner has got another trophy for the cabinet. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we're back with Cam Raslan talking about books and... Uh, yeah, many thanks to Arvin and, and Craig for uh, their reviews of El Clasico and A Season with Verona. All these books we're talking about, guys, available in good bookstores. I was just going to say good record stores. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Cam, now you want to talk about football culture, I understand. Well, yeah, there are two books uh, by the same author. Uh, David Winner is his name. One's called Brilliant Orange, which is about the, the Dutch... Uh, football and the Dutch national team and another one, uh, Those Feet, which is about the English game. And he uh, approaches the subject looking at culture, uh, looking at sort of um, kind of digging up aspects that people don't normally think about to, to try to explain where, for me, the two most mysterious enigmas in football uh, come from, which is the Dutch and England. I mean, you and I, Ross, we watching England for a long time and also you know you watch uh, Manchester United great Liverpool teams and then you watch England and you think who are these people and by reading books like um, Those Feet you really get an idea of why England and the England FA is as it is because mm. uh, a mystery is like Matt Letizia, I mean, if you haven't checked out the greatest hits, Matt Letizia, go check it out on YouTube. You'd watch it and you think, this is the greatest footballer of all time. But he played for England, what, twice? Uh, Michel Platini said of Glenn Hoddle that if Glenn Hoddle had been French, they would have built the team around him. And although Glenn Hoddle did play about 20-odd times for England, he only played twice in his own actual position. So do you, do you reckon that's really hampered? I mean, England could have had so much success with, with those players you mentioned. You throw in, again, Paul Gascoigne, uh, a very rare talent. They've had players like these, and, but they've always stuck with that rigid style, 4-4-2. Well, part of it is when you read those feet, and he takes it back to the beginning, the original England FA... Uh, the English game we think of as being a working-class game, and it is, it's a working-class game now, but it was originally a, a middle-class, indeed upper-class game, uh, into which the working class then infiltrated, so that the, the middle classes and the upper classes wanted 
to, to they had this sort of moralizing, crusading zeal, and they wanted the, 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 the working classes to, to, to be, keep it in line. And, and they ran the FA. And one of the things about the English game, as a fan, you'll know this, you know, the English love to see that manliness, that just uh, the spirit. Uh, they don't necessarily want to see skill. I mean, they love a bit of skill, but they want to see effort more than anything else. <clears throat> and so if a player is kind of clever or intelligent, like a Glenn Hoddle, they're suspicious. I mean, they'll love him in, in a club like, say, Tottenham Hotspur, which allows for that. But in the England setup, you want somebody who just runs around like a... Like um, Wayne Rooney. People love watching Wayne Rooney just run around doing absolutely crazy stuff. Do you think England now under Southgate is, is very different or is it still similar? I think, I think that now we're seeing a change. We're seeing a lot more English players who have been trained actually from young in an England setup to, to have the kind of skills that the Dutch have always encouraged. The Dutch would always have, have it that every player needs to have all the skills, not just one, one trick. And they're also playing overseas, Jaden Sancho over in Germany. Um, and he's don't look like he's really in any hurry to go back to England. Actually, yeah, yeah, you, you, you're right about that. That's one, one thing England's lagging behind, I, I guess, every other European nation. English players don't travel well, don't play in very many different leagues. That, that is the case. But if we go back to Jonathan Wilson's book, though, Inverting the Pyramid, English managers, on the other hand, who couldn't work in the England FA setup over the decades, over the centuries, they would go overseas and they would bring really exciting new ideas to places like Austria or, or even Brazil. Uh, and they would uh, spread these new exciting ideas that were not allowed back in England, which were viewed with suspicion. But you ask about under, under Southgate, I, I think the kind of test case is the, uh, the Jamie Vardy... Um, can I attitude to Jamie Vardy? I'm a big fan of Jamie Vardy. But I, as he gets older, he has been told by Brendan Rodgers, don't run around so much. And he's become almost like an Italian player, like a people in Zaghi. Mm. You, you won't necessarily see him for a lot, and then he'll just pop up and score a goal. And I don't know if England really... I, I find that England's a bit suspicious of that kind of thing. They'd rather have a Harry Kane who's like kept in... Captain Harry, who just sort of like, oh, he's, he's so England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Let's segue a little bit to to the Dutch. Now, they they are probably the biggest underachievers in world football. I'm talking about the national team here, obviously. Yeah. yeah that, uh, reading Brilliant Orange, I, mean, I love watching the Dutch, and some of my favourite moments in watching football has been watching the Dutch. I, I, my favorite goal is the one, I think it was in South Africa when uh, Robin van Persie headed the ball from yeah. like a mile away. <laughs> uh, I mean, I watched that. I, I've never seen anything like that. Only the Dutch would imagine that. But then when you watch the rest of the, the competition, the Dutch were like just the most boring team on earth. It's such an enigma. And um, when you read the book, you, it has to be so much about Johan Cruyff. Yeah. Um, that there's no other human person who's, who's had such a dominating effect on a, on a national game, but on the sport as a whole, as Johan Cruyff. He's, he's reinvented the game. And 
he really wasn't a very nice man. No. Uh, I would have hated to have worked under Johann Cruyff. But what he did, and, and what he did was, by reading the book, you discover that he kind of merged together two strains uh, in Dutch culture, which is one, the kind of uh, working as a group, uh, kind of the community aspect, which levels people out and actually destroys the spirit of individuality. But then there's also the individualism, which we've seen from Dutch players, which, which can be celebrated. And he sort of put those two together. And so he worked in that wonderful, bizarre, total football system, which was about a group of individuals playing multiple roles, somehow coalescing to fill in gaps when other players moved out of position. It's, it's quite genius, really. I mean, I think that still goes on now in Dutch football training culture. They start the kids young. They make sure the kids can play in every position, which is, I guess, makes sense, right? Yeah, but can you, can you imagine England playing like that? Maybe they're starting to, because we're seeing the likes of Grealish, James Madison, who, let's face it, if they didn't tell us they were English, we'd go, oh, you're not English, are you? You're definitely not from the Midlands. You're absolutely right, but uh, I'm, I'm a bit worried that Jack Grealish, who I think is one of the one of the outstanding new talents, he's not really always, he's not a, a, the first one on the, the, the sheet for England. He hasn't really turned out for England yet. He hasn't been invited in. No, no. Uh, well, I'm a bit worried that you know, England's still up to its old sad tricks. But, but clubs on their hand, individual clubs, a person like Jack Grealish, you could imagine him in certain clubs just being, I think he'd, he'd do great in Spurs. Uh, he could have a happy life in, in well, he's doing well in Villa. But, I mean, there are certain clubs where he would be, uh, he could be a god. Well, Man United are publicly courting him right now, I think. Uh uh, yeah, I'm sure Liverpool, Man City will be interested as well, as well as Madison. Right, we're rapidly running out of time. So, any of the uh, any other football books you wanna you wanna highlight to the listeners that that you you reckon maybe they should check out? Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Gianfranco Vialli's uh, The Italian Job, where he compares Italian and the English game from his own experience. Uh, he's a very cultivated uh, man. He, he's, uh, he's not stupid. And he comes up with some really interesting ideas of why the English game is as it is. Brilliant. And, and, and I, I, can, I can recommend you every single Alex Ferguson autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> anyone. Just choose anyone. They're all great. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. All right. You know, he's genius. The man's great. Brilliant. Um, I tell you what, we're out of time. Cam, many thanks for your contribution. Uh, you, you go back to reading and staying indoors and staying safe, yeah? You too, Ross. And, and also, uh, thanks to Arvin Sidhu, thanks to Craig Wilkie. Uh, we'll be back on Friday and, and we'll talk more football, give you more latest news, maybe talk more about books as well. But for now, thanks for listening. Everyone, have a great week and stay safe. Off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.